0: Where is your faith, Jeremiah? And we can ask those questions at church or Bible study. They sound like the right questions to ask. We can think, what a sinner, what a faithless man. But when we get home, or when we have those dark moments of our own, when the light doesn't seem so clear and it's just plain hard, we understand, Jeremiah. Now, when I, I read this and I finally get off my high horse, my pious thinking, oh, I could, I could never do that. I would never say those things. Once I finally get over myself and realize my own faith wavers too, and I see that Jeremiah fails to always trust God, I, I find that I can sympathize with that. Because I, too, fail to always trust God. But then a new question starts to form in my mind. I I start not to question Jeremiah anymore or myself anymore because I understand that, but I, I start to question God and I wonder, where is God's response? Something I think we too tend to wonder, where is God's response? Jeremiah has just poured out his heart. He has come to such a low point that he curses the day of his birth and would rather his life never began than to continue. And what does God say? Nothing. Nada. Zip. No direct response is recorded in chapter 20. There are other complaints that Jeremiah does in chapters 12 and 15, and God responds to those, but he does not respond here. Does that bother you just a little bit? It bothers me. We wonder, will suffering then have the last word? Will despair be triumphant in the life of a man dedicated to obeying God? No direct response is recorded, but God has already given Jeremiah all that he needs. See, back in the second week of the series, we studied the call of Jeremiah from chapter one, and that call is the very place that right now Jeremiah needs to return. In chapter 20, Jeremiah traces the sorrow and the problem of his life back to the womb, but in chapter one, God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I had a relationship with you. In chapter 20, Jeremiah sees the misfortune starting from the day of his birth. But God says in chapter 1, before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you as prophet to the nations. God doesn't directly respond to Jeremiah in chapter 20, and yet we know this is not the end of Jeremiah's ministry. He did not end his life, nor did he stay frozen in despair, but he pressed on. He continued to serve God and proclaim God's message to his people. This wouldn't even be the last time that he'd be beaten and locked up. Something gave him the desire and the gusto to keep going. And I have to think that it took Jeremiah digging back into the promises of God and to see the priority of his calling. Sure, he had a momentary lapse, but he recognized that God's calling on his life was not dependent on his happiness or his suffering, but his obedience to God. For God's glory. Just as Jeremiah failed to always trust in God, rest assured we will too. We too will have these dark nights where we question God and his purpose in our life. God, I've been following you faithfully. Why then did I lose my job? God, I've been committed to your word. Why is my marriage failing? Why am I raising these kids alone or why are these kids rebelling against me? Where's the husband, the wife, the children I so desperately want to have? Why has the cancer returned? I, I thought you removed it. I gave you credit for the miracle, but it's back. I've been faithful to you and your name, but all I get is disdain and mocking. People are against me on every side. Not only people, but evil forces are working against me, whispering, terror. And we wonder, where is God's response? Why is he not acting? And if we don't have a theology of suffering, if suffering doesn't fit into our idea of what Christianity is, then we'll say, better had I died in my mother's womb than to keep living like this. But as Jeremiah had his answer there all along and he returned to his calling, likewise, return to yours. We looked at this that same night. We looked at his calling, Ephesians 1.4, for he, God, chose us in him, Christ, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Chosen to be happy, did it say? Chosen to be comfortable? Chosen to walk on easy street? No, God has chosen you to be holy, set apart for him without blemish or stain of sin. And he is working that out in your life right now. And he is able to use the pain and sin and suffering of this world, even the works of the enemy, to accomplish his task. It's not your happiness, but your holiness. So that you might be able to dwell with God eternally. He has the end goal in mind. He knows what he's working towards. And it's in that way that he will be most glorified. Paul, writing from prison, expresses that the church in Ephesians, he says that it is able to manifest God's glory to the world Particularly brightly because of how we handle suffering and handle the troubles of the world. In fact, he even says that the the powers and the forces, they pay notice when Christians suffering praise God. But how? How can we be sure? How can we be sure that God is able to take oppression and suffering and turn it into our good and his glory? Because we have the cross. Jesus himself is the best example of this. He understood his calling. In the upper room, he says, I will not speak with you much longer. He's saying, I don't have a lot of time. For the prince of the world, we call him Satan, is coming. Don't worry, he has no hold on me. He can't handle me. But the world must learn that I love the Father. And that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. That's John 14, 30 and 31. Perfect God who took on humanity so that he might show perfect obedience, take on our sin and punishment that we deserve, and conquer the power of sin and death by rising again. But think of the horror of that. It's a pretty cross up there, lit up and nice. But the cross, though it was the plan of God, was the most awful and wicked thing that man or the devil has ever taken part in. For someone completely innocent like Jesus. And yet God used it for the greatest good possible. The redemption and justification of his people. Your redemption. My redemption. Which results in God's greatest glory. Now we don't need to come away from this thinking that we then need to become Jesus Christ. There is only one Savior. We do not need to replicate his act on the cross because it was a once for all act. That has changed us once for all. But we do need a place for suffering. Especially in the face of faithfulness and obedience. Because that seems contrary in our minds. We need to face it knowing God's goodness is not in question and his plans still stand. The cross is proof of this and our calling is sure because of it. Don't give up. Stay true to your calling. I know this morning in church, I had a couple of beautiful examples. I had just finished uh, final bits on my sermon, and then in service, and I'm sitting next to this woman who I've met and talked to before, and she's been here at Remix. And I happen to know that, I don't know, it's like 10 years ago, her daughter was murdered by the, the girl's husband. And this lady and her husband traveled around following this man all over the country because he still had the kids and they weren't prosecuting him because there wasn't enough evidence to make it stick. And here she was sitting next to us singing just beautiful praises to God. And she has experienced something so much more heinous in her life than I can imagine. But if that wasn't enough, then this morning we had about 20 Uh, adults come up and sing in the choir, but they were adults that all had, um, they were all special. They had uh, learning disabilities, disabilities for carrying on in normal life, and so they have to be in this place that helps them do normal things, and they were singing about giving your burdens to God and leave it there because he can take care of it. I said, whoa, (laughs) my burdens aren't like your burdens and you can give yours to God, that's amazing. I have other friends who have been faithful and obedient and serving and desiring something in their life for over three years now, and it still hasn't come. And we sing with them, and we pray with them, and we cry with them. There needs to be a place for us to understand suffering. Suffering. and that it doesn't mean you're not being faithful. Jesus said in John 14, verse 1, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And as we do and as we see his plan unfolding in our life, We can grab hold to a true joy that arises out of the suffering, suffering for our King. Faithfulness and obedience that in and of themselves are more worthwhile than seeking out happiness. And they bring joy and they bring God glory far greater than any happiness offered in this world.